been roughly five years since the company facility fell into ruin. It felt like a previous life now, but I was originally assigned to this planet, MLS-24, as a member of the security team. Nobody really knows what happened exactly. What we do know is an infection, a parasite, was released into the facility, infecting the inhabitants and transforming them. We call them the Symes, and they drove us from our homes with minimal to no supplies. Those that survived made their way to a power station some miles off the facility. The designation for this planet indicates it can partially support life. There may be a proper mix of breathable air that exists here, but the dust storms that constantly swirl around this area of the planet are the real danger. They are composed of a highly dangerous particulate, which contains a metal that the human body can't break down and will bind to lung tissue. Survivors that escaped the science tragically fell victim to the storms shortly after leaving the protective barriers of the main facility. Several of us were able to secure masks and filters that were regularly stored near the exit. Only there wasn't enough. There was never enough. The company knew it too. That in the event of a disaster, there would not be enough supplies to truly evacuate all human assets from the planet's surface. I suspect the cost of providing life-saving protective equipment was too high for the bureaucrats, but we'll never know. The company ceased all communications with us after the facility fell. The survivor's enclave only remains active due to scavenging expeditions out of the abandoned facility. Several of us were selected explicitly for this task of bringing back food, water, ammunition, and other supplies. This was my primary contribution after things went bad, probably because of my security background. Maybe they thought I could handle myself under the threat of the Symes. Thankfully, up until this point, those monsters preferred the lower levels of this place. This has worked for us for the last few years until now. Now that the available supplies of the upper floors of the facility are starting to run dry, picked clean by numerous expeditions that have combed every inch of the place, grabbed everything we could get our hands on. I often wondered to myself what the point of all of this was. The company was content with leaving us here to rot. We had no way of getting out of this place on our own. Perhaps it's the unrelenting will to survive that pushes us back down into the depths of the facility to keep going a little bit longer and maybe one day find a way to persevere beyond the limited material that can be extracted from that place. Two days ago, I was brought into a briefing room to discuss the dire situation of the Enclave. Food stores would last us another 30 days and no longer given our current rate of consumption. The upper levels were picked clean, which everyone had been gossiping about, but only now confirmed for us officially. Our job on this operation was not for scavenging food and supplies, at least not primarily. We were to open up and determine the viability of the lower floors for continued expeditions. I had been picked specifically for this one. I noticed several other experienced members of the Enclave were brought in as well. We'd been following the lead of one of the previous military officers that had been stationed at the facility. 
we no longer align to any sort of military structure, what with the abundance of low-trained civilians in the Enclave. But these guys tended to naturally fit into leadership roles, especially in high-risk scenarios. In total, five of us would be geared up and sent down to explore the lower depths. They were including facility mapping on our control modules that fitted as a band on our arms. A 3D hologram would show us estimated positions and layouts of the lower corridors as we knew them before the collapse. We were warned that, upon entry of the lower levels, all reports indicated that we had a high probability of multiple sign contacts. That their primary hunting and nesting grounds seemed to be located somewhere in these sections. Ward, the commander briefing us on the operation directed their attention to me. Your security experience gave you access to the lower levels. We'll be relying on you to fill in the gaps in case these maps prove to be unreliable. I considered this before responding. From the outside looking in, this probably seemed plausible. But I don't have some sort of magic memory beyond what these maps show. My recollection of the lower levels was when they were intact, not filled with infectious monsters. I had maybe a slight edge over the others here, but not by much. Our expeditions have always relied upon new data being reported back about what damage had been sustained to the facility, what paths were no longer crossable, and where you simply couldn't go due to sime infestation. It was no use arguing about this, though. I was going and expected to lend this knowledge whether I thought it was valuable or not. Yes, ma'am, I said simply. Brooks, I will leave it to you to organize your team. I expect you back here to give your report in 48 hours, the commander continued, turning to the leader of our operation. Brooks nodded, turning to the rest of us. Ward, James, Ford, Owens, I expect you at the front entrance, geared up and ready to go by 0600. Yes, sir, we all said. The group was dismissed to go make our individual preparations for the mission. I stopped by the commissary, which doubled as an equipment depot for those individuals who made the expeditions. I was given the standard equipment, protective clothing and armor, respirator with a specialized particulate filter for the conditions outside. Then there was a special device we nicknamed a repulsor. There's a scientific name for it that no one remembered. The only thing we knew was that if you didn't want a lethal dose of radiation coming and going from the facility, you needed to have this thing powered on and running. The last piece of equipment was the infamous ID token that each member of expeditions is required to carry. Each is specifically coded with the identifying details of the person carrying it. It was considered infamous because the unfortunate case is that we lose people on these missions. And sometimes, the parasites either injure or infect them beyond recognition. This is our only way to identify our lost people, and sometimes determine the cause of death. It was always a secondary objective of any expedition to recover these tanks if they are found. I returned to the small room and bunk that was provided to me. The power station was sizable, but not nearly to the capacity that the facility originally held. It was just enough to provide accommodations to the survivors that made it, several of whom had to share rooms. Ensuring my rifle was clean of debris and in good working order, I laid out on my bunk, trying to get some sleep before the dangerous mission ahead of me.
I mulled over the likelihood of returning from this one. Every time I left for the facility, I more or less counted myself dead unless proven otherwise. This operation, though, probably the most dangerous one that I will be sent on so far. That context by itself was a foreboding shadow over the task ahead. The morning came sooner than I was expecting, waking up and preparing my gear to meet the team. We assembled near the front entrance of the power station. James and Ford were already equipped and ready to head out. Probably got started well in advance. I can sympathize with the inability to get sleep at a time like this. Gearing up for the outside was mostly focused around your respirator. Armor was important, of course. Encountering a sign was no joke. If you had a respirator failure, though, you were done. It didn't matter how tough you were. The dust contained in these storms was absolutely lethal. The mask was fitted for a complete seal. Two filters fitted securely onto both sides of the face. These filters could thankfully be cleaned, but you couldn't help wonder if that will work forever. Will we one day run out of usable filters? What would happen then? Shoving the thought from my mind, I began to put on the protective clothing I would need for the outside. Thankfully, this planet didn't require a full survival suit, so I didn't have to worry about oxygen tanks or fuel cells to keep an air replenishment system active. I couldn't imagine what that would be like if I got stranded out there. In addition to the respiratory protection, the planet's surface itself was cold. It was bearable, but negative 70 Celsius required heavy clothes, coats, and scarves to protect the body and respirator seals. Everyone ready? Shouted Brooks. We all did a final check of our critical equipment and then nodded. Yes, sir, we all replied. Repulsors on. Keep an eye on your power levels. Don't want to run out before we get to the facility, he said, flicking a switch on his arm control panel. We all flicked the switches on our control panel. The repulsor created a strange sensation, like my skin had been electrified somehow. It was a hair-raising feeling, like your body was stricken with goosebumps on every inch of yourself. Open the door, Brooks commanded. A member of the Enclave pulled the handle that would release the door seals. We piled out the door and through the magnetic field produced by the outer protection zone at the entrance. These huge magnetic generators created a shield effect against the metallic content of the dust storms. It was incredibly powerful and did the job of keeping this lethal dust out of the Enclave. The dangerous part was the immense power output required to run it. Those generators were what gave off the intense radiation, and so required the repulsor in operation to safely pass through the field. Once clear, we all stopped and powered down the devices from our control panels, taking in breaths as the odd feeling of electricity left our bodies. No one ever really became acclimated to this. You just had to accept it and move on. Brooks stood then, motioning for us to follow. We formed a line and began our slow trek to the abandoned facility. The power station was roughly five miles from the main facility. We would have to go on foot through the storms to reach our destination. With fully functioning protective gear, there wasn't really a concern for survival in the immediate sense. 
What bothered us most was the cold. It seemed to sap you of your energy. Grabbing onto the rifles felt like putting your hand in icy water. Thankfully, the rifles themselves were constructed out of materials and generally made so well that they could operate in just about any weather condition. It wasn't typical to run into a sign out in the storms. They were insane enough to pursue a victim into the storms, but their host bodies were still human. They were just as susceptible to the toxic dust as the uninfected. If we ran into any of them, it would be close to the abandoned facility entrance. It was for this reason that we brought with us a minimal armament. Maybe one full magazine of ammunition per person. The expectation would be that we would scavenge any additional munitions and return them to the Enclave. As we approached the facility, the bluish glow of the magnetic shield started to appear, creating an unnatural hue in the sky that was unmistakable. We crested a hill that overlooked the main entrance, which had been identified through many previous expeditions as the safest way to approach. Indeed, it was this way because it gave us a clear view of the entrance and if any parasite hosts were lurking below. In our case, there were at least two that had escaped the bounds of the upper levels and were searching the outer areas for victims, undoubtedly the human bodies they had stolen being punished and destroyed by the radiation being spewed out from the magnetic shield power units. In some ways, they still looked very much human, only now their bodies had been fundamentally changed. Their skin looked scaly and shiny in the blue light. They also had a zombie-like quality to their movements, that they weren't governed by a creature with higher level thought, more like automatons wandering around like a program searching for the next victim. We didn't have time to wait for them to succumb to the environmental hazards, though and one of our team, who had come with a rifle, made quick work of them. A couple well-placed shots to the body to knock them down and immobilize them, then to the head to put them out of their misery. Each of us turned our repulsors back on as we approached the comparatively massive magnetic shield that guarded the main facility. It was necessary to keep these devices running despite the facility being abandoned. If they were allowed to be shut down, then the upper levels would become permeated with the lethal dust. Air filtration systems could only do so much, and the magnetic shield was a huge part of that process, ensuring that no abundance of the dust entered through the front entrance. The entrance itself was in the ground. It was essentially a latch and plate that covered a stairwell leading down. The facility was built underground, which allowed for many benefits from less storm deterioration to energy conservation. We approached carefully, keeping eyes out for any additional signs that could have been hiding out in the storm or behind other equipment. Ford grabbed a lever on the entrance hatch, which unlocked easily. Several seals released, and the hatch was pushed open with hydraulic lift supports. The team took a single line and went down the steps and into the first area of the upper levels, a wide open area that housed the security booths for incoming and outgoing workers. Originally, people would have to check into and out of security before heading to other supplementing structures, like the power station. Now they were vacant offices, devoid of human life, 
and stood as an ominous reminder of the order that came crashing down around everyone as things went sour. The team took a moment to take inventory of equipment, ammunition used upon entering, ensuring all equipment made the journey. We were expecting to have to use a plasma cutter to get through corroded doorways, which Owen had carried as a part of his load. James finished first, repacking his gear and standing up to take a look around. He was one of the team that I hadn't worked with before. I watched out of the corner of my eye as he moved away from the group and began looking into the security stalls. It was atypical for members of the team to move in any way other than as a group. It was easy for individuals to be picked off as a result of splitting up. As if to validate this, James jumped back suddenly from several containers he had been shining a light into. A sign had revealed itself and was moving at James, who was completely unprepared for the encounter. He fumbled for his rifle, firing several ill-placed shots that had no hope of hitting his target. We all jumped up at the sound and were getting ready to fire on the monster. Everything was happening in a matter of seconds, though. The sign jumped on him before we could take our shots, opening its mouth to reveal the tentacles of the parasite that acted as the transmission medium to new hosts. There was no choice then. It was shoot the sign at the risk of hitting James, or allow him to become infected and then shoot him later anyway. The team unleashed a torrent of gunfire at the sign, shredding it apart on top of James the force of the projectiles blasting it off of him into a wall nearby. A dark ooze seemed to leak from it on the floor. James gasped in relief, stunned at how close he had just come to possible infection. Idiot! Brooks berated him then. Never move without the group. You're just asking to get infected. James looked like a fool, but a grateful fool that he hadn't had to experience a sign infection firsthand. Brooks continued to lay into the man while the rest of us looked on. I looked down at the dead sign. A small object on its body seemed to be reflecting light from our flashlights. I moved toward it, watching carefully to make sure it wasn't still moving. I grabbed the object from the body, which had long since shed or destroyed any of the clothing it had been wearing. I used my thumb to wipe the object clean and was surprised at what I saw. It was one of the expedition ID tokens we were given. Brooks was still giving James a hard time when I spoke up. Brooks, I said, which stopped him for a moment. This thing had an ID token. This one is from the power station. Brooks came over to me and looked at the token. I wasn't aware of any missing teams at the moment, otherwise we'd probably be on a rescue mission, I said. Maybe, Brooks replied. No idea, though. All I know is what our mission is, which we should be getting back to. Hold on to this for when we get back. He handed the ID token back to me and turned to the team, motioning for them to follow him out the door and into the upper levels of the facility. Something struck me about this response, though. It was also unusual for such a find to be shrugged off, given our survivor's enclave was small it was odd to be unaware of a missing team. Sure, several teams would leave the power station to search for supplies of all types, but they routinely checked back in, search parties organized if they did not. I tucked away the token into my bag and followed the group, 
There wasn't anything else I could do about this now. We moved out the exit of the security station and through to the main catwalks that led down into the main facility. The upper levels were wide open, doors to various living quarters placed evenly along the sides. The different sections were color-coded to indicate professions. Engineering, medical, security, all had their various sections assigned to them. The upper level was cylindrical in shape. The entire facility was, but the openness of this area made that more apparent. The walls themselves were solid concrete. It was as if a massive drill had carved out the planet's surface and then built in the sides with solid stone. If not for the Symes, this place would be practically impenetrable, able to withstand a nuclear blast and the fallout that followed. There was a main security office, almost like an old police station actually, equipped with lab, documentation, and holding cells. Most importantly though, it held a sizable armory, which the survivor enclave had been picking from since the fall of the facility. We stopped here first, needing to stock up on various munitions that would eventually be taken back to resupply the larger group. I finished first, reloaded several magazines that fit my rifle, and stowed them in pouches on the armor vest I was wearing. While the other team members combed through the munition stockpiles, looking for specific ammo types, I walked quietly over to a computer station. Just like at the Survivor Enclave, these stations had the ability to scan the ID tokens. The technology was taken from the facility to begin with, after all. With my security login still working, I was able to get onto the machine and slip the token into the reader port. Because these tokens had been reprogrammed from their original purpose, much of the additional data used by the Enclave was unrecognized or unreadable. However, a text output of the basic metadata about the sign upstairs displayed on the screen. Jason Williams. Description. Male. Brown hair. Brown eyes. Six feet. One inches tall. Facility occupation. Security. Objective. Unlisted. Refer to Expedition Command. A cold feeling rolled over my skin as I read the name. I knew this man. He and I had worked together before the facility fell. He and I had escaped together, leading several other survivors to the power station. Far as I knew, he had not been sent on a facility expedition for some time. What the heck was he doing here? Everybody hurry up! We have to get moving again! shouted Brooks from inside the munitions room. I quickly ejected the token and returned it to my pocket, moving back toward the room. Brooks emerged and spotted me on the outside. How many people am I going to have to talk to about splitting up, huh? He said, looking furious. I was keeping an eye on the exit, Brooks. I replied, putting on my best poker face. He snorted and turned back to the rest of the men. We're moving out in two minutes. Finish searching for munitions and get out of here. He yelled into the room. The other men on the team came out sufficiently more weighed down by the extra equipment they loaded up on. We made our way out of the security office and back to the catwalks. It was slow going, carefully navigating these pathways that seemed sturdy, but had been left without maintenance for years now. A platform breaking could lead to a lethal fall, and the sound may attract every sign with an earshot. 
We made our way further down than most expeditions dared to go, closer to the sealed entrances that would lead to the lower levels. During the chaos of the evacuation, there was so much going on it was hard to remember exactly what precautions were taken to stem the tide of the Symes. All I knew is that whatever precautions they took didn't work. I don't know how they found this out, but the briefing noted that the door seals had been engaged, locking down the lower levels. There were control rooms that handled the manual release of these seals that we would need to clear. I was in the back of the group, following Owens. I had worked with Owens a few times now, good man. I made a noise quietly to get his attention. What's up? He whispered back to me. Hey, that's Simon from upstairs. I ran the token through the security computer. It's Williams. I didn't know they'd sent another team down here, did you? I asked. I didn't. What do you make of it? Owens asked. Don't know, but keep an eye out. Something doesn't feel right about this. I finished. He nodded slightly to indicate he'd heard me keeping his eyes forward to avoid drawing attention to our conversation. As the pathway started to enclose, Brooks, at the front, put up a hand for all of us to stop. He crouched down, making no noise but looking around carefully for any sign of a hostile. He turned to the group, pointed to me and motioned for me to come forward. I did so and he pointed to two rooms on either side of a large steel door. They had windows that allowed us to see inside. Ward, those are our control rooms, only we've got a problem, he said. As he said this, the unmistakable movement of a sign could be seen in one of the windows, its motion seemingly erratic, performing its programmed hunt for a human to infect. I think there's a few of them, he said, pointing to a couple more moving shadows that weren't immediately apparent. This glass is bulletproof, right? I looked again and realized he was right about this. Any door override security station or other passageway between sections of security would have higher levels of protection. This door leading to experimentation and higher ranking command would certainly qualify. Yeah, I think so, I replied. We're going to need one person to sneak in there. Probably not going to want to use a weapon. There's too many of them. I'm thinking the four of us on the outside can make a distraction, get their attention on the glass, then someone gets in, releases the door seals, he explained. I had a feeling I knew where this was going. You're going in, he said. You're most familiar with the doors, seals, and security than any of us. You'll know how to work around any problems much faster. I nodded in agreement. I wasn't thrilled about this assignment, but he was right to give it to me. He relayed the plan to the others, and I handed my rifle over to Owens, who slung it on his back for safekeeping. I didn't want to risk banging the long barrel against a wall or any other object while making my way in. I kept a pistol with a single-stack magazine just in case, though. It would never be enough to take them all, but maybe I could buy myself a second in a pinch. I crept to the doorway that would lead into the room. I put my hand on the smooth surface and tried to force it open. It started to give, which was a good sign that I'd be able to get it open with minimal noise. I turned to Brooks and gave a thumbs up. He nodded, and then went about his distraction for the Symes. It wasn't much. He stood up casually and walked in front of the glass. 
The signs reacted instantly to the sight of a possible new host, smashing up against the glass, their mouths spewing the tentacles against it, trying in vain to reach him. The security glass held, though. Just like we weren't able to fire our rifles through it, they couldn't penetrate the barrier as well. Taking advantage of this opportunity, I pushed the door open again. The signs didn't notice this given all the noise they were making. Stepping quietly over to the control on the far side, I glanced to my left. Four signs were clawing at the glass trying to get to Brooks. Some sort of ooze spewing all over the glass. I shudder to think that a fate worse than death stood only a dozen feet away. I had to shake the thought. The door seal was merely a series of levers that tied to each locking mechanism. Knowing that the sound of these metal devices would draw attention, I resolved to do this as quickly as possible. I pulled one, then another. As I reached for the third, I heard the sound of a sign to my left take notice. They had turned and let out a scream to alert the others to my presence. They all turned and started bounding toward me as I threw the third lever, releasing the door seals. Not wanting to stick around, I booked it to the door, signs on my tail. I turned with my pistol as I reached the door and only just got a shot off into the face of one sign that was right on my tail. Owens and James were on the other side of the door, who quickly shut it as the other three signs reached it. The door shuddered as the force of three bodies slammed against it, but it held. I gasped as I hit the ground, shock and relief overwhelming my senses. Owens and James looked beside themselves as well. None of us were accustomed to such close quarters as we'd experienced so far. Close quarters wasn't really a thing with the signs. At least, not where you walked away still human. I think it dawned on the group that this didn't set a positive tone for our mission so far. Brooks came forward, offering me a hand, while the signs continued to bash against the security glass. Nice work, Ward, he said. I took the hand standing and taking my rifle back from Owens. We made our way through the door to another circular room, the wide open security checkpoint, much like the checkpoint of the facility exit. On the other side was another steel door that would transition into the labs and command areas. If it worked like it had before the fall of the facility, an alarm would sound if some protocols weren't entered into a nearby workstation. The door itself was expected to have some corrosion due to no use and the sterilization protocols that would have saturated it as the evacuation was happening. The steel door we came through closed automatically behind us, latching but not sealing the door like it was before. I looked back and saw that there were controls to engage the locks from the inside. This was so that security teams could quickly initiate a lockdown in the case of containment or other hazardous breaches. Something caught my attention, though that the controls looked dirty, coated with some kind of liquid. I ran my gloves over it and saw the dark ooze indicative of Symes. Mixed with something I thought looked like blood, a shiver went down my back as I pondered this. Symes couldn't open and close doors, not intentionally anyway. This looks to me like someone in mid-transition, post-infection had sealed the door to this level intentionally. Everyone take up a position to secure the room, said Brooks. Owens, get the plasma cutter and get us through this door to the next section. Brooks, said Owens. 
Look at this. He pointed to a box on the ground, something that was unmistakably another plasma cutter that had been left here by someone. Owens also pointed to the door, which had also been worked on prior to our arrival. Someone beat us here, already took care of this door, Owens went on. I walked over and looked at the equipment myself. I'd had enough. Something wasn't right and we needed answers. Brooks, what's going on here? I asked. What do you mean? He said. The cutter tool here, the slime on the door locks, I replied, pointing to the door we just passed through. The ID token from the slime upstairs, I continued on, holding out the token I had stowed in my pocket. This was to Jason Williams, another security team member. What was he doing down here? Are we the first group to try to get into the lower levels? You know something and I want to know what it is. Brooks approached me, a flare of fury in his eyes for questioning him. I don't know anything about it. What are you trying to say? He replied, getting so close to my face that it was uncomfortable. I'm saying something isn't right about this. Before we go crawling into any more sign-filled rooms, I think we deserve the truth, I said, not backing down. Deserve? What do you think you deserve? You're here to make sure we survive over at the Enclave. I don't care what you think you know about. Brooks shouted, but was cut off. A clanking sound made us both look to the steel door leading to the labs. James was there, and he'd turn the latch that would open the door to the next area. No, wait! I shouted, but too late. An alarm rang out, piercingly loud. James threw his hand to his ears, looking to us in a panic as he realized his mistake. Brooks shouted something, but I couldn't hear it. I turned to the door where we came through, and as I did so, it burst open. I had never seen so many of them before, so many of the Symes, drooling, screeching, and coming for us, their first batch of hosts they'd seen in a long time. I raised my rifle, intent to stop their advance, unsure of whether or not we could stop the torrent of death that was pouring through the door.